there's just not high enough densities in the rural area to make it cost-benefit as a business model from a private side. This is episode 237 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. This week, Christopher is joined by Bob Hunter, General Manager of the Kitsap Public Utility District in the state of Washington, and also the organization's Superintendent of Telecom, Paul Avis. Bob, Paul, and Christopher discuss how the KPUD is responding to requests from local residents and businesses and starting to offer connectivity over its open access network. They discuss the financing used to bring the infrastructure to people in areas where national companies can't justify more investment. In Kitsap, it's becoming another utility supplied by the KPUD. Hey folks, this is Chris Mitchell, the host of Community Broadband Bits, and I just wanted to ask you if you could do us a real big favor to help us spread this show around, and that's to jump on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you found this show, and to give us a rating, give us a little review, um, particularly if you like it. If you don't like it so much, then, then maybe don't do that, um, but if, you, if you're enjoying this show, please give us a rating and help us to build the audience a bit. Thanks. Now here's Christopher talking with Bob Hunter, General Manager, and Paul Avis, Superintendent of Telecom from the Kitsap Public Utility District in the state of Washington. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bids Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. And today I'm speaking with two really funny fellows from Kitsap Public Utility District. Uh, let me start by introducing Bob Hunter, the general manager of the Kitsap Public Utility District in Washington State. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And I'd uh, also like to introduce Superintendent of Telecom at the KPUD, uh, Paul Avis. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. So I don't want to set up any expectations, but I'm going to because it's my prerogative. And that's just – I think I laughed a little bit more in the um, in the preliminary setup for this show than I had did for most of the interviews. So I'm expecting <laughs> a, a joke a minute. Um, but I, I'm curious if we could start with uh, Bob Hunter with um, a little description of, of what Kitsap is like. Kitsap is a – is almost a bedroom neighborhood to Seattle and Tacoma area. It's right. It's right located right in the middle of the Puget Sound. Uh, we're a ferry boat right away from downtown Seattle, um, which does gets us the best of both worlds. Um, and it is a fast-growing community. Currently has about 250,000 people. Uh, the plan in the next uh, uh, 15 years is to add another 100,000. Tell us a little bit about the utility district. I think a lot of my listeners are maybe thinking that, that all utility districts in Washington do electricity. Right. For, in the case of Kitsap, there, there are 28 public utility districts throughout the state of Washington. Um, and that means they're owned by the public and we are nonprofits. Um, in the case of Kitsap, Kitsap PUD primarily got into the business to do um, water, water resources. In the case of Kitsap County, we are uh, basically an island. So what lands on Kitsap County is in the form of rain is what we have as drinking water. And so primarily that was our goal. We have since moved into telecommunications as well as sewer. For Kitsap PUD as a whole, we, we've seen a real need for broadband expansion. And it really comes from the people. It's not something that the, the commission here or even the management here 
decided they wanted to do one day. It was a, it was our public that was pushing us in this direction. Well, and I think this is uh, something we're going to uh, be talking about, but it's actually really interesting in that um, the public can make demands of you in ways that they can't always uh, with others. So turning to, to Paul, your superintendent of telecom, um, tell us a little bit about how uh, the Kitsap uh, Public Utility District got into thinking about telecommunications. So, yeah, what most people don't don't quite realize or even remember, it, it's funny when we, we talk back is, you know, for me, I, I think of 2000 as being, you know, just a couple years back. But, yeah, I guess it was a ways back. Um, Kitsap County was sort of anomalous in that we were actually split up by three long distance areas. Um, now, you know, it, it's a great place to, uh, you know, to build a shop. Uh, there's a lot of awesome real estate up north and there's uh, some great, uh, great places to set up an office down in the south end of the county. And so the problem is, is you'd have uh, businesses coming in and we're actually enticing them with all this awesome real estate and very affordable uh, prices and things like that. And the power is great here. Um, but then when it actually gets to communication, you would have your office attempting to communicate with your shop at the north part of the county. You would be paying two different long-distance fees to make that call every time. And so what actually happened was we were driving businesses away because they're saying, this is, a, this is just ridiculous. For, for living no more than five or ten miles away from my shop, I'm actually paying a ridiculous amount for communication. Um, at that same time, you know, kind of uh, fast forward into the, the 2001, 2002, we, we all sort of realized that uh, in Washington, the PUDs could have the authority to use right-of-ways and excess capacity and all the, the things that come together to, uh, you know, provide utilities as saying like, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's actually get into telecom. So for, for Washington State, you know, we kind of just, just rode the coattails a little bit of what all the other PUDs were doing. But specifically for Kitsap, that was our main focus. And, and when you look at sort of a map, our original build, uh, we called it a figure eight. It was actually just a, a ring, two rings that sort of connected at the middle uh, right around Silverdale. And that's what they're really doing is they're providing the link from from north all the way to south. And typically what we had done was uh, – really plan on hitting the governmental agencies and the schools and that kind of thing at first. So I'm always curious how that gets started in the sense that um, did you connect the schools that was there a cost savings? Was there just a better connectivity you could offer um, or the, the other public and in, uh, anchor institutions? What, what led to those connections? Yeah, it was, it was um, better connectivity more than anything. And, and this is something that we've always sort of maintained as a standard. It's not, it's not that we're trying to run any private um, service providers out. We're not trying to do anything like that. And in most cases, we actually weren't um, saving anybody any money. They're, you know, if you look at just their monthly bill, so oh, I'm paying for, you know, like a school district, for instance, would be paying for shotgunning T1s, which is, you know, for the, the listeners out there, it would be saying, you know, hey, I'm going to just have a T1 and then I'll buy another T1, maybe even a third or fourth, just T1 line and then use that for my connectivity because there's no other option here. And so they would do that. Well, what they were paying for all of those T1 connections, it was pretty much equivalent for what we would say, well, that's a hundred meg connection. We would just provide that to you over the fiber line. And the pricing is actually not going to really be much cheaper. It might even be a little more, but the bandwidth you're getting is, you know, easily 20 times more than what you're actually getting right now. Right, and presumably uh, reliability and all kinds of other benefits on top of it. 
Well, that too. And, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, I think that was a really good point was that, yeah, we, we have a board of commissioners and they, they are our leaders and they are elected. So other than, you know, you can pick up the phone and call somebody from another state who's actually, you know, answering to a manager who then eventually answers to, you know, some shareholders or something like that. We answer directly to a board of commissioners. So when someone has a problem, you know, at a school district, they typically have the number for their, their district representative as far as, you know, the, the person that sits on the board here. And that immediately gets our attention. That's usually a direct phone call to me. So I want to I'll come back to you, Bob, because you mentioned um, how local residents and businesses were asking for uh, better options. And I think it's interesting that the story uh, that I saw comes from Lookout Lane, which seems like the setting in a comic book, like maybe Peter Parker was <laughs> growing up on Lookout Lane or something. Um, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about how Lookout Lane figures into your fiber optic services? Well, this was a push from the people. Again, uh, a local utility district. And just for your listeners, um, some of them may understand what a ULID or an LID is. And then, and then we call it an LUD. They're all the same. ULIDs are from cities. Uh, LIDs are from special purpose districts uh, like water districts. And LUDs are PUDs. But they are exactly the same. Those are um, acronyms that have to do with utility district or improvement district. or That's what the D is or the U or the I. And then the L is usually exactly. local. So, yeah, yeah, just to make sure people right. caught that. I'll try to not use so many acronyms. The whole utility <laughs> business is all about acronyms. But that being said, Kitsap PUD has done many local utility districts, primarily water. And now all of a sudden we have these, these telecom LUDs. And we were really surprised. I'd say at the beginning of this whole discussion, when, when the public came to us and started talking about it, we thought this won't ever really happen. It's just a discussion. It's just a topic. But what happened in this case, and, and Lookout Lane is a, is a good example. This is a, a group of homeowners that, um, you know, they're all neighbors and that have DSL service that's just inadequate. Many of them would like to telecommute. Many of them would like to just use the internet regularly, and they were having issues. Um, they engaged with the PUD. And the way a local utility district happens, actually there's some laws that prohibit us from actually going out and trying to push LUDs. It has to come from the people. And so, you know, the LED came along and basically they requested to meet with staff here. And uh, it was actually Paul Avis and a person from NoAnet that we're affiliated with, Angela Benick. They both got together, met with this community, explained to them what an LED was, how it happens. And it went from there. Great. Paul, let me just throw in that NoAnet um, is the Northwest Open Access Network. And uh, my listeners should know that because I've done several great interviews talking uh, with folks from there. So um, just want to make sure people remember that. And uh, NoAnet supports all the, the public utility districts or most of the public utility districts across the state. Um, so, Paul, tell us a little bit more about Lookout Lane. Yeah, so we were we were invited to talk there and we had some great discussions with them and you know really part of part of the whole beginning of this process was kind of learning what their needs were and and really you know every time we talk about this I, I really want to bring home the fact that um it, it's an education process I want to make sure that everyone goes in with eyes wide open because when we talk about something like this we're really talking about someone making you know a 
a multi-decade investment. And so you sort of have to really, you know, give it, give it the, the, uh, the honor that it deserves, you know, when you start talking about things like that. I mean, we're asking these people, you know, in, in the moment you start saying, and, you know, again, to, to kind of go into what an LUD is, we're really saying, you know, hey, are you willing to increase your property tax? And right off the bat, that's, that's you know, what, what I would expect is for people to just run me out of their house if I said something like that, you know, in a meeting. But, but these people were very receptive to that, and they really realized where they were at. They're, they, they really did educate themselves kind of beforehand. So that made this process pretty easy. But, but anyway, back on point to go into where we sort of started out. Yeah, they had a problem there. I mean, the DSL service was inadequate for those that even had it. Some of them couldn't even get it. And th this is sort of, uh, you know, a little tangent here, but to go, to go into sort of the reason why this is, this is happening right now is that the, the, current, the current provider in the area has, has used the phrase permanent exhaustion. And really what it is, is it, it's um, aggregation to the point of, you know, oblivion, basically. If you have a, a box, from that box, it serves multiple houses you know, you're all sharing that line. And we've all, we all know that we all have accepted the fact that it's like, yeah, at certain times of the day, oh, my, my service will be slower because everybody's on, everybody's trying to watch Netflix. Well, it gets to a certain point though, you know, if you have 20 people on there, that's acceptable. If you have 4,000 people on there, yeah, that becomes incredibly unacceptable at that point. Like there's often a physical limit as to the number of ports that are supported, right? I mean, it's not just like you can just add yeah. new boxes on, like that takes new investment. Yeah, absolutely. It does take new investment. And, and you know, again, I, I'm not trying to bash the ISP at all um, because I would understand it too. And this is really the difference, you know, the fundamental difference of how we would view uh, telecom service as a utility compared to how a private entity would view telecom service as a business. And yeah, you're exactly right. So you have a physical limitation. Well, you know, you're going to sell up until the edge of that and maybe even beyond if you can get away with it. You know, you, you will split as much as you can and try and get that profit because that's really how you're growing your network is, is by that, by that profit and that subsidizing. So what's happened is, is that it's to the point where it's unacceptable for everybody. So to alleviate that, if you're, if you're in a home, for example, you are on a DSL line, you move away. Well, the first thing you're going to do is cut your utilities and your communication expense. So you're going to say, yeah, I'm, my contract's over. I'm moving away. I'm leaving. Well, you're still in the service area of that service provider. So if you're moving in now to the home, you're the new buyer and you're moving into that home. The first thing you do is you call up the ISP and you say, hey, I'd love service. Well, they're going to tell you, sorry. It's not available in your area. Even though you are actually in the service area, they're not going to give it to you because what they've done is they've reclaimed basically that, that one point is, is alleviating the pressure on their network to a point where they're just going to say, no, it's not available anymore until they can kind of get back to an acceptable level. And that is incredibly frustrating. And you can imagine, you know, moving into a home and basically having the rug pulled out from under you. Um, and that's what's happened here. That, and that's why, you know, we, we were asked to step in and, and that's what I want to get to, because if I understand it correctly, uh, under the law, you're not necessarily being asked to step in where you'd have a choice. It's demanded that you step in. You don't really have a full choice once the citizens have voted. Am I understanding that right? <laughs> it, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it's a petition um, to the PUD's board. And so once petitioned, and it's, it's basically the, the smallest margin you can think of for majority. I mean, it's 50% plus one. And actually, we the board has to act, I believe, at 10%. Bob, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, by a petition of 10%, the board has to 
has to legally act. If it's 50 plus one, the board has to move forward unless it's financially not viable. And when you say has to act, uh, would you interpret that as you have to consider it and look at the costs and that sort of thing? Yeah. And so, you know, in some cases, you know, you could get something less than 50% petition and the board, you know, it could be a sewer system. I mean, I, I would say this is more of the real example of that where you're saying environmentally, this is a hazard. We need to do something. And, and they could proceed forward and assess all hundred percent of the properties, you know, remember they're elected though, and they're elected <laughs> by the people. And so they're very cautious when they do that. And, you know, you'll get a disgruntled person out there that'll decide, well, I'm going to run for a board seat because I don't like what they're doing. So, you know, that is the balance. That is the public effort. That is why we are what we are. Uh, But in that case, 50 plus one, we have to move forward, meaning that we can't say no unless it's financially not viable. And now, one of the things that I'm, I'm curious about is you mentioned that for a sewer system, um, uh, 50 plus one can decide to to make that happen, and then 100% of the people have to partake in it. Do 100% people have to partake in the fiber optic uh, local utility district? And so what we've done is the answer is yes, 100% of the properties have to be in the LUD. So it's a, it's a physical boundary, a geographical boundary that we use. However, um, that being said, we've developed a formula in which we will allow a certain percentage of them to not participate. And that's really based on you know, because you could have people that just don't have the internet, don't want it. That's why they live there. That's their intention. So we do have a hard time swallowing the idea that we're going to jam it down their throat when it comes to broadband. Um, so, you know, in the case of Lookout Lane, it was one customer that decided they really didn't want to be part of it. And I will say, once the project's done, now they want to be part of it. Um, but <laughs> sorry, <laughs> because they they just didn't believe it. You know what I mean? You know, the, the, here's here's the deal. You know, we're the government. We have this deal for you. Most people don't believe that. <laughs> you know, and, and they're saying, yeah, right. I've heard that before. And, and so, but once we've done it, and everybody's happy with it, ecstatic about it then, you know, it takes off. And I, you know, there's another LUD we're in the process of right now where the next neighborhood over said, hey, wait a minute, we want that, you know? And so in this case, we do. We have in the, in the very next neighborhood over, there's three people that don't want to be part of it. And so in that case, what we will do is zero assess them. Our staff here has looked at it and said, you know, we're going to sell that connection in the next 10 years. We know the next people that move in will buy it because that's their only option in this case. And, and it's a good option because what we actually do is provide an open access network. So there's multiple providers on it. I just want to, to flesh that out the rest of the way. And Paula, I'll bring this back to you. Um, when, when a person decides not to participate and later changes their mind, I'm sure they don't get a free ride. They, they pay the, rest, the same as the rest of their neighbors, I, I'm imagining. You know, it's probably actually more, unfortunately, um, because well, the, the problem is, yeah. is, and you know, it is, it is fair, but you know, at the same time, I, I'm, I'm in the business of providing the, the utility to the people. And so I, whatever, you know, my, my 
ego would say or something like that, I, I would always have to say, well, you know, I, I'm still going to try to do everything I can creatively to help that person connect. But, but no, the, the actual, you know, when you want to break down the math, yeah, so they're going to have to actually pay for the contractor to come back out. It's, it's cheaper, and, and obviously, for the contractor to do all of the homes at one time, which is what they did for all of the other homes. They, they had put the conduit in the street, they run it all the way to the home and stuff like that, and the crew's already out there, they already have flagging and everything they need to do. Well, now they have to come back out as basically a separate job to connect this person. And so we, we, have, we have already assessed the home for the, the footage basically on the front of their property. There's no way you can't be assessed for that. I mean, we did the work, it has increased the value, but now we actually have to go back onto their property. And so that's going to be an added, added piece of construction. Really, you know, even if I was going to say, yeah, you know what, yeah, we could probably do it for a little cheaper, you know, whatever the contractor came back with and said, well, you know, we, we don't have to charge them all. Even assuming that, which, you know, again, I'll tell you, isn't the case, they still have lost the the financing model, which is really the main reason of doing an LUD. This is the PUD. That's our only tool in the toolbox for financing. You know, I can't, I could never tell you, well, no problem. You can just pay me back over 20 years. It's like, no, it, it has to be attached to the property as, as an LUD is. So the problem is, is even, you know, as, as these other people will slowly pay this off over time, unfortunately, this homeowner is going to have to write a check and say, okay, you know, here you go. I, I want in now. And that, that's really the killer right there. I'm going to guess that's a low four-figure check on the, like, uh, maybe a few thousand dollars? Uh, yeah, probably more than that, actually. Oh, wow. So, so I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, it would obviously vary from yeah. community, but you're, it could be over $10,000 depending on the property is what you're saying? It, it could be. It won't be, but it could be. So we'll say, yeah, anywhere between, you know, uh, we'll say three and ten thousand. It, it will be that. And, and, you know, the reasoning behind that is, is um, it's underground. Once you go underground, it's a whole different ballgame. It's it's very expensive. I would say that the number the number we use to do you know what I call a desktop estimate. In other words, if you, if you want me to do you know a five minute estimate to your house just to see if it's even viable, the number I use is thirty dollars a foot. So if you can imagine that and extrapolate that on on homes on you know acreage, yeah, that adds up very quickly. Now I'm curious if if either one of you has any sense of how it's impacted property values or um, if it's too early to assess that. I think it's a little too early. You know, I having talked to a couple different assessors and some uh, real estate agents myself, it's more of a theoretical or what the expected. It could be as high as five percent. It could be. I've I've even heard higher numbers than that. I've, the the term that's sort of parlayed around is gigabit. You know, we live in a gigabit community. I, I hear that quite a bit. Um, the problem is, is if you're in the one house that's not the gigabit, part of the gigabit community, you're actually sort of decreasing the value. And that, that's sort of why it's hard for me to say, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a three and five percent increase, something like that. It's like, well, it's kind of that, but it's also kind of the fact that you're, you're devaluing maybe the home that doesn't have it. You know, all of your neighbors have fiber except you. Eh you know, that, that's going to sort of be, that, that's going to affect the sale. And so, you know, right, that's right. kind of where we're at now. Right, rather than increasing the value of the other homes, it's, it just becomes the expected uh, for people right. that are yeah. in the community. and that's absolutely right. Yeah, and you, you sort of have the exact reason why they got, it's sort of this cyclic thing. I mean, you have the exact reason why some people wanted to do this so bad is you move into a, you know, quote unquote gigabit community, that's what you're expecting to have. 
So, uh, Bob, I'm curious, um, you know, given that you provide some kind of water service to probably everyone in Kitsap um, and fiber to some, um, is, is fiber increasingly then like a, a main driver of, of, of interactions of people with the utility? Um, you know, is, which is to say, you know, are people kind of like, yeah, water, whatever. I'll t- talk about fiber. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got it exactly right. I mean, this is the topic. Uh, you know, even though there was a time that I, you know, I, I'm the guy that says, you know, you need water to live, (laughs) but, but the majority of people out there, this is what they want to talk about. This is what they want brought to their house. Broadband. It's, it's, you know, it's an us and them. But you need a, a gigabit to want to live or to enjoy living. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. Some, yeah. some of us, it's not an option, Bob. We, I got to have that to live. I'm going to say that right now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, so what we really have here in Kitsap is we have the more rural that basically don't have access. And you have then the more urban area that has plenty of access. And it's really this, and what we're seeing with the local providers, which which is kind of crazy, is that they're willing to reinvest into the urban area before they're even to invest anything into the rural area. And I will say, in the issue of Lookout Lane, I mean, we've met with the local provider, Paul and I both met with them, sat down with their execs. Basically, they acquired these these really poor DSL systems in an acquisition of another utility it would seem as there's no intention of ever solving that from their perspective. And I would tell you that, again, I, I believe they're applauding the PUD's effort to serve them because then it goes away. It's no longer their problem. There's just not high enough densities in the rural area to make it cost-benefit as a business model from a private side. You know, another thing I would add to this LUD process is this community itself met with ISPs that are on our network and did their own math and said, hey, the assessment over 20 years plus the cost that we're going to pay the ISP is equivalent to what they're currently paying for DSL. And, you know, they get gigabit speed compared to, you know, their, you know. Quarter of a meg, probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's that's what's really pushed this effort here. And we have local school districts that are, you know, they're expecting their kids to start doing homework on the internet where kids are having to come from the rural area, go sit in a mall to do their homework because there's, this is the way it works today. And this is just not adequate for the community. Right. Now I wanted to just check in Paul with, um, uh, you're using the service zone software, which, uh, provides some tools so that you can do some, uh, mapping and help people sort of self identify as being interested in, in getting fiber. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about it? And in particular, I'd be really interested if there's any surprising results in, in using that. One of the surprising things that we've seen is the, the dense areas. In other words, we, we call them hotspots. So we see areas that people are, are, you know, going onto the survey and saying, yeah, you know, I really, really do want, um, you know, public fiber. They're actually uh, places that I, I would consider are not underserved, if you pardon the, the double negative there. So so they are served and in, in maybe even by two service providers. They may have cable and DSL is what you're saying. That's correct. And they've already got service. They're not underserved. And that's kind of, you know, my, my mantra is like, ah, we really want to get to these underserved. Just like what Bob said. I mean, we're trying, trying to you know, help these people out who, who just have no options. Well, these people do have options. They, they've already got it. Those are the people that are filling out this survey. Um, and it's, 
it's very interesting. It's, it's one of those things that it, and it's led us to actually open up conversations with the incumbent ISPs and say, you know what, what can we do? Maybe, you know, is there a partnership we can do here? Is there something we can do to maybe solve this issue that, that, you know, there are people that already have the service, but are just unhappy with it and they don't feel like it's adequate. And, and it, it goes right back to what Bob says. It's easy for, you know, someone to justify to a, you know, shareholders, you know, upgrading service in King County in downtown Seattle or something like that. I mean, is the most bang for your buck. You're going to get thousands of people with a minimum investment. Whereas here, man, you're, you're going to be spending, you know, a half a million dollars to get 400 people upgraded. I mean, that just doesn't pencil out. And so I, I get it. I understand how it's a hard sell, but that's, that's sort of where we're at. And so that's, yeah, when you ask me what the surprising data is, I'd say that's probably the most surprising data that we've seen. Great. Well, this has been really helpful, and I'm uh, really appreciative of you explaining to us some of the, the uh, local improvement district or the utility district models because we have not talked about it very much on, on the show before, but I think it's something we're going to see a lot more of. Uh, so let me just ask if there's any closing comments you'd like to make uh, before we end the show. For, for people like me, and, and Bob had kind of alluded to this earlier, that you know we have sort of come, come into the mindset that it's, it's a utility. We're there. It's it's already past that. We need just we need to think of it as a utility. It's it's exactly where we were probably you know 60 maybe 70 years ago with electricity. And when we think about it, we think oh how quaint that people could even believe yeah we really don't need electricity that much. You know I think that's what we will look back on in 70 years at this period too in in Kitsap County. But I think you know what that means is the good and the bad. You know think about how your utilities are served right now. Think about how your build for your utilities, how, you know, that all comes to, to play and, and really think about it though. You know, I mean, do, do your electric rates go down every year? Um, are they steady? Do they go up? You know, what does it cost to install that kind of thing in your house? That's really what it means to treat as a utility. Now there's good too. I mean, the service and all that things, but I think it's, it's time to start really as, as a people, as the public, the people who are at the end of it, to just change our mindset, you know, and, and once we all accept that, it, it will really push the ball forward and, and help us to all get the, the telecom as a utility in this county. Thanks, Paul. Bob, do you have any parting comments? You know, most recently, um, what's going around, at least here in Washington State, is uh, to get PUD's retail authority. Um, currently, we have wholesale authority, and, and but it, it should be known that PUD's want retail authority purely so that we can access funding to build to rural areas. Currently, that's not possible under a wholesale contract. And also in the event that we want to be able to support customers directly in the event of an ISP failing or going under being purchased out. So that's really the two main reasons. The PUD's models are really an open access network. Even though you'll hear this retail piece, the open access is the key, and that's the goal. That's true competition. You pr will provide the utility, as Paul was saying. We'll provide the infrastructure and we have multiple providers for people to choose from. You could have someone that is very technology savvy, and they'll just go for the lowest cost because they need no support. Those people that want support, that want service, they can buy that. They can pay more to get that. That's the key. That's what will propel us forward. And I think lots of times the attack on us, uh, Publix, it comes under as though we're trying to create a monopoly. No, we're trying to provide more competition. 
Yeah, no, I'm really glad you made that point. And I think I think it is really important to recognize that um, in in so limiting what public utilities can do, you, you're limiting financial models, you're limiting, um, you're increasing risk, frankly, um, in, in a number of these edge conditions. And it's frustrating that it is the people that have no choices that are the ones being left out. Uh, so uh, thank you both for coming on and, and telling us more about what's going on in Lookout Lane in the, in the comic book world. Um, and I uh, wish you both great luck. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chris. That was Christopher with Bob Hunter, General Manager, and Paul Avis, Superintendent of Telecom from the Kitsap Public Utility District in Washington State. Check out muninetworks.org for more on the Lookout Lane project and for more stories on the KPUD. We have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcasts at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter where the handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and all the podcasts in the ILSR family on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to rate the show. We'd like to reach out to more people, and the more stars, the better. Never miss out on our original research by also subscribing to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you to Admiral Bob for the song Turbo Tornado, licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 237 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs> <laughs>